you're looking in your Bible, you want to find your place at the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. In a few minutes, we're going to read verses 13 to 19. Let me take just a moment and say that we are glad to have you with us, glad to have you a part of this service. We would love for you in uh, the comment boxes at the various platforms where we're streaming this service, if you would just indicate where you're watching from, what city, what state, we'd love to know uh, where you're watching from. We'd appreciate having that information. And of course, as we go through the course of this morning and this message, maybe you'll have a prayer request or some need that you have. We have pastors that are monitoring all those different platforms and those comment boxes and you can just indicate what your prayer request is, and we would love to be able to pray with you and just interact with you as we're going through the rest of this service today. And so please keep in mind that we are here for you, to minister to you, to reach out to you, to love you, to care for you uh, during this time as we're going through this time of pandemic. Today we're going to talk about the subject of discipleship and the significance and importance of what it means to be a disciple. And I'm going to be hitting at what I believe is the core of discipleship. There are other things that you can talk about when it comes to talking about discipleship, but at the heart of being a disciple is what we're going to talk about for a little while today. And I just have this one thing to say to you, and I'm going to say it over and over, and I'm going to come at it from different directions and hit it from different directions, and I hope that by the end of this message, you'll be able to type in a comment box there, what is the central message, the central theme of the message that we're looking at and talking about on this day as we consider what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize that when Jesus came nearly 2,000 years ago, that being a disciple maker, being a rabbi who had disciples was not some new novel idea. It wasn't something that Jesus was bringing that the Jewish people had never seen or witnessed before. Quite the contrary. There were many rabbis who had disciples over the course of history. And they would take their disciples with them and they would teach their disciples the things that they were imparting to them, the truths that they were imparting to them so that when Jesus became this rabbi with his disciples, it wasn't something new and it wasn't something novel. It was something that was very normal in that particular society at that particular time. What made Jesus so different was his person, who he, who he was, what made Jesus so different was his authority with which he spoke. What made Jesus so different was his power. There was no other rabbi like Jesus. There was none, none other that spoke with his authority or with his power. None other that spoke as the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was. And that made him very unique and very different in a setting where there were other rabbis who had disciples. When you think about this word disciple, the Hebrew word is talmid, the plural that is talmidim. It simply means a learner or a student. The New Testament Greek word means exactly the same, somebody who was a learner or a student. But if you were living in the first century, you would know that it meant more than just learning and studying. You would know that to be a disciple meant that you had to be willing to leave your family and your friends in order to study and to follow the ways of your rabbi, to follow the ways of your teacher. A disciple didn't just want to know what the teacher, what the rabbi had to say. He wasn't just downloading information, making sure that he knew the facts and the figures. 
A, a disciple was one who was studying the teacher himself because he wanted to be like the teacher. He wanted to be like the rabbi. And so it was necessary that he not just go to a class on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and learn the material that's being taught from the teacher and writing it down so that he had it in a notebook and he could take it home and he could memorize it and he could come back at the end of the quarter and he could take a test and he could answer all of the questions. Information is certainly important to the matter of discipleship, but discipleship in the first century, when Jesus was making disciples, and teaching us how to make disciples was a lot more than just information sharing. It was a matter of people leaving their vocations. It was a matter of leaving their families and their friends. It was a matter of going with this rabbi wherever he went and spending time with this rabbi. You see, a lot of the reasons that we interpret discipleship incorrectly is because we look at it through our Western eyes. And through our Western eyes, we think of it as a learning method or a learning model, and it focuses primarily on the transfer of information. And then once we've mastered that information, once we got all the Bible trivia down, we think of ourselves as being a disciple. But that's not the way they thought of it in the first century, and that's not the way Jesus came to make disciples or the way Jesus wants us to make disciples even this day. When Jesus came, he was calling on these men to leave their ambitions, to leave their goals, to leave their plans, to leave their family and their friends, and to go and to be with the rabbi, to learn his teachings, absolutely. But they were supposed to be with him so that they could become like him. They could see how this information that they were learning was actually applied in a regular, everyday course of life so that they could begin to interact with people and live out their lives in the same fashion as their rabbi. And so these disciples were supposed to be with Jesus, not just learning facts and figures and details. They were supposed to be with Jesus. It's been said, a student learns what his teacher knows, but a disciple becomes what his master is. Another writer put it this way, Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. <laughs> Let me say that again. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. It's just another way of saying you, you want to be with Jesus, not just hear information, not just show up at a class and download facts and figures and make sure you have them memorized for the end of the month when the test is being given. You, you want to be able to be with him in the experience of everyday life. Why? Because you want to become like him. You want his life to become your life. You want your life to reflect not only his teachings, you want your life to reflect his ways in the world around you. Dallas Willard is a philosopher. Uh, he's a theologian, and he's written a number of books. But one of them that's an excellent book is called Divine Conspiracy. Divine Conspiracy. And in it, he writes this about discipleship. He says, discipleship is a real-life apprenticeship with Jesus. That's a good word, apprenticeship. Discipleship is real-life apprenticeship with Jesus. That's what God is calling us to be. When he asks us to be his disciples, 
Yes, he wants us to learn the truths of this book. He wants us to hear what he's teaching us. But he wants us to be with him so that we can see his life and we can understand his life and that we have a fellowship with him and a relationship with him that changes our lives so that we become like Jesus Christ. Think about it in in these terms. A child that's learning to multiply and divide numbers is an apprentice to his or her teacher. The same is true for a student of piano or voice or many other things that are disciplines in this life. In other words, the being with by watching and hearing is absolutely necessary to the discipleship process. I've even heard some school teachers say how difficult it is teaching their students online and how much they long to be with their students in the classroom. Yes, to love them. Yes, to be with them. But for the purpose of them being able to interact, their students are with them, apprentices of theirs, so that that student can learn how the teacher does that addition and how that teacher does that subtraction and how that teacher does that multiplication and how he or she does that division. Because that's what he means when Jesus says, I want you to be my disciples. He's not just asking us to download the information so that we can answer all the questions that anybody could ask us about the Bible. He's asking us when he says, I want you to be with me. When he asks us to be disciples, he wants us to be with him. He's asking us to be with him in our everyday lives, to have a relationship and a fellowship with him that's actually changing us from the inside out as we see him and we experience him on a daily daily, basis. occasion in daily occurrences of life. For several years, we had a medical doctor in our church that was a surgeon. He was a surgical resident here, and he was working in the hospitals in our community, and he was a member of our church. And actually, we have many medical professionals who are part of our congregation. We have doctors and nurses. We have PAs, and we have nurse practitioners, CNAs, and technicians, and various other sorts. But this particular medical doctor was only going to be here for a period of time. He was a surgeon. He was here for his surgical residency. And what I learned from him during that time was interesting. Now, obviously, I don't know everything on the inside of how you train a medical doctor. I've never never been on the inside of training a medical doctor. But a couple of things that I picked up just listening to him talk is we would interact with one another. And that is that you didn't want a surgeon who had just graduated from college and who had all of the book learning showing up and you being his first patient to operate on. You wanted to make sure that he had had training beyond just that intellectual side of things. And consequently, uh, he would work alongside other experienced surgeons assisting in the operating room. And then over time, he would begin to do the surgeries while the experienced surgeon would assist him. And then ultimately, this, this man would become the experienced surgeon who would train others in the fashion that he had been trained. Now, I'm sure there's a lot more steps in it than what I've just given to you. But you understand that you don't want to be the first patient of a new doctor who's just graduated and got his degree and has never seen a patient. You want to make sure that he's been with other doctors. He's had experience with other doctors. He's been trained by other doctors being with them, not just the download of information, not just knowing the knowledge of the human body, that in actuality he's 
performed those surgeries alongside of many more experienced surgeons in the process of learning how to be a surgeon. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when he calls us to be his disciples, I don't want you just to learn about me. I don't want you just to have a lot of information about me. I don't want there just to be a download of these technicalities to your brain so that you can give answers on a test and you can walk across the platform and get a degree. I want you to come and I want you to be with me. I want you to watch me. I want you to see me. I want you to hear me. I want you to experience life with me. And in experiencing life with me, I'm going to change you from the inside out. I want you to leave behind your family and friends and your own ambitions and your own goals and your own desires. And I want you to go with me. I want you to go with me. It's not enough just to see me on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for a one-hour class or a two-hour class or a three-hour class. I want you to spend morning, afternoon, and night. I want you to see how I interact and how I live out my life. And that's what Jesus was calling these men to do. Because the very first requirement of being a disciple of Jesus is that we be with him. You have your place there in your Bible at Mark chapter 3. And I want to read beginning in verse 13. And listen to what it says. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12. Now listen to the phrase that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Do you hear one of the purpose clauses? Jesus says, I have appointed these men. And the very first thing he says, I have appointed these men that they might be with me. It's not not enough just to know the information. It's not enough just to have the details. It's not enough just to memorize scripture and be able to quote it back. It's not enough to be able to put the answers on a test at the end of the week or the end of the month or the end of the semester. It has to be that we are spending time with Jesus. And in spending time with Jesus, we are learning who he is. We are seeing how he lives. And he is changing us because we are with Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? During this time of the pandemic, if I count right, it's been about seven Sundays now that we've had to restrict the services. About seven Sundays. It's interesting. There are no sports. There is no entertainment as far as things going on in the community. All the things that we're so used to have been taken away, have been stripped away from us. We can't even gather at the church building because of the virus that's going around. And we're missing all of those things. Some of us are wondering, when are those things ever going to come back? We can't go to the theater. We're not a part of the various dramas around the community. And all of the other things that are going on, it's gone. It's gone in an instant. And I wonder if out of all of this, we're learning the lesson 
that what Jesus wants is the priority of our lives and what he wants more than anything else is that we would be with him. And I'm wondering that when we come out of all of this, when all of the distractions begin to rise again and everything begins to happen and the busyness begins to happen again, will we forget what is most important in life if we are to be the disciples of Jesus and that is that we would be with Jesus? that we would leave all of those other things and we would make him the priority of our lives so that we can listen to him when he teaches, so that we can see him in the miracles that he performs, so that we can watch how he lives out his life. Now, you and I can't do it like the first century disciples did it, but we can do it through the word of the living God. We can do it amongst the body of believers that are gathering together and that are encouraging one another throughout the course of the week. We can do it by interacting in our community and living out Jesus before others in our community. But the very first thing, the very core thing of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that everything else gets set aside and everything else takes secondary place in your life. And what becomes primary is that you are with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's something interesting, just to keep in mind. Do you realize that these 12 men who, by them, you and I are being referenced, we're supposed to be these kinds of disciples as well, to be with Jesus. But do you realize that these 12 men were, for the most part, relatively young men? James Stewart, James E. Stewart, in his book, The Life and Teaching of Jesus Christ, says something that you don't want to forget. Unfortunately, he writes, it is a fact which Christian art and Christian preaching have too often obscured. Christianity entered the world, hear it, Christianity entered the world as a young people's movement. Most of the apostles were probably still in their 20s when they went out after Jesus. And no one ever realized more clearly than Jesus that the adolescent years of life when strange, dormant thoughts are stirring and the whole world begins to unfold are God's best chance with the soul. When we study the story of the 12, he says, we see them following their leader out into the unknown, not knowing very clearly who he is or, or why they are doing it or where he is likely to lead them, but just magnetized by him. I like that phrase. Just magnetized by him, fascinated and gripped and held by something irresistible in his soul, in the soul of him, laughed at by friends, plotted against by foes, with doubts sometimes growing clamorous in their own hearts until they almost wish they were well out of the whole business but still clinging to him, coming through the ruin of their hopes to a better loyalty and earning triumphantly at last the great name, the great name, the glorious company of the apostles. It's worth watching them. For we too may catch the infection of their spirit and fall into step with Jesus. There's the word infection. The infection of that virus. They could not walk away from Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to spend time with him. They couldn't quite figure out sometimes why, but there was a magnetism about Jesus that just drew them to himself. And these were young men. I just stop and say to those of you that are younger than me, 
Christianity isn't just for the old people. Christianity is a movement of young people who recognize who the person of Christ is and who long to be with Christ, not to just know some details about him, not to just understand some things about him, not to just cram their minds full of Bible trivia. Young people who want to be a part of a movement that changes the entire world. And to do that, you got to have more than facts and figures. You've got to have more than details. You've got to do better than just being able to make 100 on a test because you've got all the information down. You have to have spent time with Jesus. I hope these days you've been taking some of this time to spend with Jesus. Not just do house projects. Not just run around and pick up the things that you've got to have to keep living. Not making plans for what you're going to do when this is all over. You may have done all of those things, but I hope amidst them, what has been the priority, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, is that you have spent time being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. Jesus is calling us to be with him. To be with him in fellowship and in communion. Learning about him and growing in closeness to him. He wants us to to know him in intimacy, to have a relationship with him that's lived out every single day of our lives because the basic essence of what it means to be a disciple is that we want to be with Jesus. Think for a moment about your marriage relationship if you're married. If you're not, that relationship you hope to have one day probably in marriage. Can you imagine two people just sharing an address at some particular location, living in the same house, but never hardly communicating with one another, never having fellowship with each other, never having communion with one another. About the only time they speak to other, each other is when they're giving instruction as to what they're going to do next or where they're going to be next. There's no sharing of life. There's no being with one another. There's no loving relationship that's growing out of that. You know what would happen to a relationship like that? It would soon die. You might go on sharing that address, but that relationship would soon die. And for too many of us, for too many of us, that's the way, that's the way we have viewed discipleship to Jesus. We rarely speak to him. We rarely seek after him. We rarely spend time with him. We might be sharing the same address at a church with a lot of others who say they're disciples of Jesus. We might understand some of the instructions that he's given to us, but we really haven't been longing deep within our souls to be with Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know the fellowship with you. I want to be a part of your life. I want to have an experience with you every single day of my life. Before we can preach about Jesus effectively, we have to fellowship with him personally. Discipleship is about a relationship before it's about a responsibility. You hear that phrase? Maybe you'll just write it down and you'll tweet it in a little while. You'll put it on your wall. Discipleship with Jesus is about a relationship before it's about a responsibility. I'll say it one more time so you can write it down. Discipleship to Jesus and with Jesus is about a relationship before it's about a responsibility. It's about being with Jesus. He called these 12 to be with him. Was he going to teach them? Absolutely. But he was going to show them. He was going to live it out before them. And they were going to see what it meant 
to be Christ in the world. And as we see what it means to be Christ in the world, we become more Christ-like ourselves in the process. If we fail to realize this basic necessity of a disciple, then we'll spend our lives potentially thinking that we're disciples, believing that we're disciples, measured solely by what we do without truly being his disciples. It's this ever-growing communion with Christ that underlies all of the other instructions that he would give to these men about discipleship. And without this passionate pursuit, hear these words, without this passionate pursuit of Christ himself, you and I will never be ready to make the other sacrifices necessary to fulfill our greatest purpose in life. Hey, listen, we make sacrifices to run our kids all over the countryside. What sacrifices do we make to be with Jesus? We make sacrifices to build our businesses. What sacrifices do we make to be with Jesus? We make sacrifices to go have the entertainment and the fun of the world around us. What sacrifices do we make to be with Jesus? You say, preacher, you're making me feel uncomfortable. I realize that. I don't mean to do that intentionally. I think that's the Holy Spirit working in your life because he's challenging you and he's asking you, he's looking at you and he's saying, look, I want you to do more than just the things. I want you to know more than just the details. I want you to spend time with me. Doing honorable things for Christ is not the same as spending time with Christ. And you can be a visionary Christian leader, but if you don't have a vital relationship with Jesus... Well, then it doesn't really matter much, does it? It doesn't really matter much, does it? Jesus was issuing a call on this day in Mark chapter 3 to these disciples and by way of them to every single one of us that he wanted us to give him our lives. He wanted us to leave things behind and to travel with him so that we can observe his life publicly and privately. And just imagine what these disciples saw. They saw the miracles that he worked. They heard the teachings that he gave, the discourses that he preached. They were privileged to be able to have been with Jesus Christ and to have spent time with Jesus Christ. Let's understand that when I talk about being with, with Jesus, it's more than just about proximity to him. You and I can't have that kind of physical proximity to Jesus that these first 12 disciples could have with Jesus. This is about making him and his pursuits our life mission as well as giving to him our ultimate loyalty. It means abandoning our own agenda and adopting his and saying, Lord, whatever you have for me to do, I'm willing to do. Because what matters more than anything else is that I be with you. Now, can I just tell you that when you're with Jesus in that kind of a fashion, it's going to be recognized and it's going to be noticed. And think about that occasion during Passion Week on Good Friday when Jesus was arrested. When he was arrested, led there by Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 who didn't get it. He was with Jesus, but he didn't get it. 
And he led that group of men up that hillside to take Jesus under arrest and led him away to those unjust trials that took place through the night and into the early morning hours. And you know what the Bible says? It says that all of those men fled from him. All of the other 11, they fled from him. But Peter, somewhere along the way, circled back. He wanted to see what was unfolding. He wanted to watch what was happening. And he ends up standing beside a fire, and he's warming himself by that fire when a servant girl sees him. And do you know what they said about Jesus? Excuse me, what they said about Peter, who was following Jesus from a distance? Listen, Mark chapter 14. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself... She looked at him and said, are you ready? You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, Peter standing there stood out like a sore thumb. She knew that he was one of those who had been with Jesus. What Jesus is calling all disciples to, to be with him, to have communion and fellowship with him, to prioritize him above everything else, to lay aside other things and say, I sacrifice in order to seek Jesus and to be with Jesus in my life. And that little girl recognized that Jesus, excuse me, that Peter had been with Jesus. You realize that when you're with Jesus, it changes your life and other people recognize it. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why followers of Jesus think they need to blend in when in actuality followers of Jesus who are with Jesus are going to stand out. And Peter stood out on that day. Peter stood out from all of the others that were there and that girl recognized that he had been with Jesus and that's what Jesus wants us to do. Hey, listen, if nobody's looking at you and saying, you know, uh, for some reason you don't fit here like you used to fit here. If you're just blending in with everything else and everyone else, you don't stand out. It may be an indicator that you're not with Jesus. Now, you may have a lot of answers. You may have a lot of details. You may know a lot of Bible. You might be able to quote a lot of Bible verses. But you're not pursuing Jesus with all of your heart. You haven't abandoned your own life and your own ambitions and your own goals and your own plans and said, Jesus, here I am. I'm yours. I am to be with you. I will spend time with you, seeking you with all of my heart. There's a story that illustrates what I'm talking about. I told you I'm going to come at this from several different directions. There's another story that tells us uh, the, about what it means to be with Jesus, and it's found uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is coming to the city of Bethany, and he's going to stop at the house of Martha and Mary. And of course, if you've got this well-known rabbi, this one who's worked these incredible miracles and done these incredible things, then obviously you want to make sure that you have everything ready. So Mary and Martha are busy making sure the house is ready, making sure the meal is ready, making sure the table is set, you know, the things that you would do if you've got a guest coming to your house. But when Jesus arrives, Mary leaves all of that busyness, and Mary goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. Mar Martha isn't a bit happy about it. Martha's not a bit happy about it. I mean, she's still busy and bothered by all the things that are going on. And Martha comes to complain to Jesus about Mary and says, why don't you send her to help me? Listen to how the text reads. 
Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also, remember that little word also, sometimes it's not translated in some of our modern translations, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now, I had you to notice that little word also. In other words, Mary had been working alongside Martha until Jesus got there. When Jesus got there, Mary understood that the most important thing for her to do wasn't to continue working in the house. The most important thing to do was to go sit at the feet of Jesus and be with Jesus. Nothing else was more important. What's more important than being with Jesus in your life? What's more important than being with Jesus in a relationship in fellowship, in communion, spending time with him, learning who he is, watching how he, how he is described for us in Scripture, seeing how he interacts with the people. What is more important to you than being with Jesus? Then you're like Martha. Mary knew what was the most important thing, and the most important thing was being with Jesus. How much better it is for us as followers of Jesus to learn that time spent with Christ is the most important time we spend on a daily basis. God didn't call us to be workhorses dutifully churning out tasks and deeds that have been assigned to us. He called us. Remember what he said? He's appointed these 12 that they would be with him. He's called us to spend time in his presence, becoming personally acquainted with him. Physically, we can't be with Jesus. We have to be with Jesus on the pages of this book. But we spend time in the pages of this book saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to see you. I want to see how you live so that it'll change my life. I want to be with you, Jesus, more than I want anything else. These 12 men had a front row seat to some of the most unbelievable things. Think about those who had seen the wonders of God in the Exodus. Or think about those who had experienced the miracles of Elijah or Elisha. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for some of those things? Think about those who heard the oracles and the prophecies of the great prophets of old, the great prophets of Israel. Do you understand that these men were privileged to be with the one who spoke everything into existence. They were privileged to be with the one who held it all together. They were the ones who were privileged to see him when he raises the widow's son from death or when he takes that spittle, he spits into the dirt and takes that dirt, puts it on the eyes of that man who was born blind tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he comes back, and he's able to see they were there. Think about this. They were there when Jesus had the two fish, the five loaves, 
and he was multiplying it. Can you imagine? They take out some of the food, they deliver it to those that are sitting, 5,000 men. That doesn't count children and, and women that were there. To the 5,000 men, and they're sitting in areas and sections, and they take out some that Jesus has given to them, and they come back, and there's more in his hands. Can you imagine how big their eyes must have gotten? Like saucers. They were looking and they were seeing. They were being with Jesus. Can you imagine what these men were privileged to do? And they got it. They got it. It took them some time, but they got it. Listen to how John writes about it. First John chapter 1. Listen. That which was from the beginning. Here we go which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Do you see it? We've seen, we've heard, we've touched, we've handled, we've witnessed, we saw, we were with Jesus. Jesus is calling us to be his disciples. He's not looking for a bunch of workhorses who just want to churn out the tasks that are given to them. He wants people like Mary who are willing to sit at his feet and say, Lord, what's most important is that I get to spend time with you and I get to know you and I deepen my relationship. We're not just sharing an address together. We're not just living in a house together. We're actually getting to know one another and sharing life together. And you're teaching me. You're you're downloading things to me all the time, instruction and truth. You're downloading it to me. But I see in you how that truth gets applied and how that truth gets worked out and how that truth is to be lived out so that I become like my rabbi. I become like my master. Let me go at this one more time. He called them to be with them. Mary understood that the most important thing was to be with Jesus. Let me go at it one more time. Let me see if you can get it. Make sure you understand it. There was the occasion after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. He's been crucified for sins. He was buried and rose again. Forty days later, he ascends back to the Father. Ten days later is the day of Pentecost and the church is birthed into existence. A little later after that, Peter and John were out ministering. They were out preaching and talking about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And they were arrested. They were kept overnight. And then they were brought before the authorities the next day. And listen to what it says. These authorities who saw Peter and John, listen to what it says about them in Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that is, these that are trying them, These that are asking for testimony, they're trying to silence Peter and John. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized, hear the words, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Do you know what had transformed their lives? Being with Jesus had transformed their lives because at the core, at the center of what it means to be a disciple, isn't just showing up on Sundays for a worship service. Isn't just being able to answer Bible trivia questions better than anybody else. Isn't coming to a class Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 
and being taught, writing things down and getting information so that you could take a test on them at the end of the semester or the end of the week or the end of the month and you can pass the test. Being a disciple at its very core means spending time with Jesus. It means being with him, pursuing him, hearing him, seeing him. And we have to do that through the word of the living God. But being with him and spending time with him is what God so desperately wants from us. It's what God so desperately wants from us. What preceded their witness in work for Christ was their daily walk with Christ. Write it down. Put it on, on your wall. Tweet it out. What preceded their witness and work for Christ was their daily walk with Christ. We get it all backwards sometimes, and we think what's most important is the work that we're doing when what God wants more than anything is for us to abandon some things in our lives so that we can prioritize what is really most important and we can spend time with Jesus. There isn't anything more important than you can do than to spend time with Jesus. Jesus went to the mountaintop on one occasion with three of his disciples, the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were with him. And in those moments, in those moments, God allowed Peter, James, and John to see the true glory of Jesus shining through him. They immediately recognized this, this is no one like we've ever seen before. And Peter, you know, who's always speaking up before everybody else and probably should think before he speaks a lot of times, said, you know what we ought to do? Let's build a tabernacle. We'll build one for Moses and Elijah who appeared there on the mountain with them and one for Jesus. And you remember what God says from the heavens? When Peter makes that suggestion, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. That's what it means to be with Jesus. It means that we are so close to Jesus that we can hear him, that we are with him in such a way that we can hear him. We can see him. We're living with him. He is a part of every movement of every day, of every aspect of our lives. He is with us all the time. He is constantly our companion. We are constantly his companions in this life. And let me just say this as I move toward a closing. You're as close to God as you want to be. Don't blame anybody else. Don't blame the church. Don't blame your friends. Don't blame anybody else. You're, you're as close to God as you want to be. James put it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You know, one of the things I've been doing during this pandemic, I do it anytime there's trouble, whether it's in my own life, the life of my family or in the life in our community or even in our world. I go back and I start reading the Psalms. I love to read the Psalms during times when things are unstable. And I've been reading through the Psalms and you know what the psalmist says over and over he talks about panting after God like a deer pants for the water. He talks about longing for God with all of his heart. Do you know what those kinds of phrases mean in the Old Testament? They wanted to be with God. Another way to put it in the Old Testament is when Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked with God. Noah walked with God. That's what I'm talking about. 
We don't say, God, go ahead and do your thing, and when you come back, I'm ready to take down the answers. We say, God, where are you walking? I want to go with you. I want to be with you. I I want my whole heart, everything, to see and understand, to know everything I can about you. I want to be with you, Jesus. J. Oswald Sanders wrote a book called Enjoying Intimacy with God, and this is what he said. There are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy with Christ, but when it comes to the point, we're not prepared to pay the price involved. That's true, isn't it? Why aren't we with Jesus? Why aren't we spending more time with Jesus? Why haven't we been using some of the time during these weeks when everything's been stripped away from us to really spend time with Jesus? We've got a lot of facts, a lot of figures, a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding, a lot of information. We can pass some tests, but we've not really sat and been with Jesus. And that's what he was calling his disciples to do, to be with him. Listen again to what it says. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Don't look at discipleship through your Western eyes. It's not going to a classroom and getting some instruction so that you can move from first grade to second grade, to second grade to third grade, and third grade to fourth grade. Discipleship in a Jewish mindset was leaving everything behind and going to live with that rabbi, being with him, so that you learned from him and you got the instruction from him, but you were so close to him that you saw him every day of your life. You were spending time in his very presence. No one will ever be with him unless these three things are true. First of all, we have to intentionally choose to pursue God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. We have to intentionally choose to pursue God. You you understand that even as a preacher, I can get into the academics of it and totally forget what it's about, being with Jesus. I have to intentionally choose to pursue God. Secondly, we have to minimize distractions that move our focus away from him. I mean, it's okay to have things to do in life, but let's be honest. I've heard more than one person talk about how they have enjoyed to some degree not having all of the distractions. They like some of them, but but they don't like all of the distractions. And one of their concerns is what's going to happen when life returns to, quote, normal, unquote. Are we going to go right back into that rushed, fast-paced life where we don't have time for anything? You will, unless you intentionally choose to pursue God and minimize some of those distractions. And the third thing is we have to discipline ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves to consistently be with him. Do you know that the word disciple comes from a Latin word that also gives us our word discipline? Part of being a disciple is discipline. It's the one thing we as Americans hate. We hate having to discipline our lives, but you will never pursue God. You will never hear his call and answer his call to be with him and to spend time with him unless you discipline yourself to remove some of those distractions and to intentionally pursue God with your whole heart. (laughs) Can I just tell you that there is nothing sweeter 
Nothing sweeter than being with Jesus. There's a minister that told about an ancient Scottish legend in which a poor boy was tending some sheep on a mountainside when he saw at his feet this incredibly beautiful flower. It was so beautiful that he couldn't resist picking it. And so he reached down and he picked it from the ground. And as soon as he did, he heard this loud noise. He looked around and he saw the mountain before him opening up. And inside this mountain, inside this mountain were all of these incredible treasures, gems and metals that were inside this mountain. So the boy goes inside the mountain. He begins gathering up all of these things, as many as he could hold And when he didn't think he could hold any more, he got a few more into his arms. And as he turned to walk back outside that mountain, he heard a voice that said to him, don't forget the best. Don't forget the best. So he turned back and he did a little more, trying to get a few more things stuffed into his arms. And finally, he left the cavern of that mountainside and it closed behind him. And all that he carried instantaneously turned to dust. Then he heard that voice again, and this is what it said. You forgot the best, for the flower is the key to the vault on the mountain. The flower is the key to the vault on the mountain. Do you know who Jesus is? He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's the key to everything else in life. And if we don't make time to be with him, we're cheating ourselves of what is really the best in life.